You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Today, we are going to be talking about social media and sex. And you've got a question about belly button fetishes. Yeah, really beautiful one. Okay, have you been on social media today? Of course I have, yes. How soon after you wake up are you on social? Within the hour. Okay, that's not that soon. Yes. As soon as I I get my phone, I'm like, I'm super important, gotta (laughs) scroll Instagram. I'm not interested in opening up right away because I know I also don't feel good when I'm on social sites. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I'm on Instagram, like, why am I there? If I'm there to, you know, to, to have a laugh or something like that, it's great. But, but why, what am I, what's the real issue? Like, why am I here? I think you're there to uh, look at dogs. Yes. Because your you entire at, feed is dogs. If you look at my search feed, it's all dogs. And it's also people slipping and falling when they're surfing and like snowboarding and stuff like that. Shall we psychoanalyze that now? Yeah, really. Okay, so I bring, I bring up social media because this new Canadian study was published. And in the study, they looked at 750 participants between the ages of 16 and 30. So a little younger than us. Just a little. And they found that 8.8% would rather give up sex than give up social media. Really? It's such, that's an easy one for me, sex or social media. You'd give it up. The what? sex. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> you would you would you give up sex or social media? Like no, it's not even a thought. Not for even me. a question. I'd I'd give up social media in a heartbeat. Yeah. I want to give up social media right now. I want to give up sex. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I got my fix. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean I'm on social media all the time. I definitely use it for work, but I use it for I don't even want to say pleasure. It's just a distraction for me for the most part. I do a lot of learning on there. Like I will say mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I sit in admiration of a lot of accounts and do a lot of learning, but it's mostly just kind of random scrolling, uh doom scrolling as they call it. So, I would absolutely positively give up social media before sex. But, you know, I mean still 8.8% is a small minority, but a considerable minority. And I want to talk about this without judgment and kind of go through some of the other data from this study. So 30% of respondents would rather not eat at a restaurant for a year than give up social media. Okay. Okay. One in one in three. I mean, I'd definitely rather eat at a restaurant, but it would be really weird to give up social media because it is the way we connect. I can't tell you how many friends, colleagues I've grown close to because we've connected on social media, but I'm sure you find other ways. Like I have a couple of very good friends mm-hmm. who aren't on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So somehow we still stay connected, but I don't know, you know, if I would meet as many people. So 29% say they would give up watching television. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Is Netflix considered yes. television? Yes, that's considered television, <laughs> I think. You know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, yeah I'll give up television. But now I carry my my little yeah, television your best, around your best with friend. me. Yeah, I'm watching the last season of Animal Kingdom right now. Yeah. Well, the latest season. Or the latest season I have access to. I might be far behind the others. Okay, more than half said that they use social media more than three hours a day. Some, 31%, said they check social media more than nine times daily. So I would say I probably check it more than nine times daily, but I definitely don't use it three hours a day. I don't have, I don't have that kind of time. I have that reminder on my phone that tells me when I've hit my 15-minute max, mm. and then I often hit ignore or remind me again in 15 minutes. But when I when I get that reminder, I'm like, okay, I'm wasting my time. Okay, so That's it's not like it's you and the alarm clock snooze button. No. That you love no. to hit. I do try and close any social apps once that reminder comes on. So it's helpful. Okay, 11.3%. This is the one that is most surprising to me. 11.3% say they prefer to have no 
face-to-face contact with anyone outside their household for one year than no social media. No, I don't believe that. You don't believe it? I don't believe this Maybe study. people don't leave their house. I wonder what that would be like after a year. Yeah, well, some people went through it. Agreed, agreed. Um, but to have no contact with anyone outside, maybe you've got a huge house. No, no face to face. No face to face. So you can still okay. chat with okay. people. Okay, so you can still chat with people. Yeah, nine point four percent said they'd rather be unable to have children than ditch social media. What was the age? Sixteen to thirty. Yeah, and interestingly, there was a nationally representative sample that I think we spoke about uh, a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. that found that about twenty one percent of young people actually don't want to have kids. So the 9.4%, you know, doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah, when you think about 21% not wanting to have children and then the study being half that, I don't think there's any big surprises, like you said. Here's another one. 8.9% said they'd rather give up a year of their life. Really? Right. And I think that maybe when you feel like you have so many years to live, like if you're 17 and you think you're going to live till 95, you think, oh, what's What's 94 to 95? I definitely don't think that way because I want my life to go on and on. Here's a shocker. 5% said they'd forfeit five years of their life and 3% said they'd give up a decade. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. I I can't imagine giving up a decade. Or even five years, one year. I wouldn't. If you hear, do it to me. No, I wouldn't give. I wouldn't give up sex. I wouldn't give up face to face contact with anybody. No way. I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't give up a year. Let forget three or five. Uh, sorry, five years or a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else in there that my? What are my options here? What else? You know, what? it's interesting because you know we can't just say one thing leads to another. But I was thinking about the fact that so many people I talk to don't want to get old or they don't want to live until they're old. You know, they have this idea that you know, being old might mean a loss of capacity, whether it be physical or mental or otherwise. And I think because I am around old people who are thriving, mm-hmm. like I think about my auntie who's 76, my uncle who's 76, and I'm like, they're living their best lives. We just I had a conversation last night with the parent of one of our neighbors. She's 82. She just no. flew here from Australia. And do you know, we were just chatting, so she does Pilates. She can hold a two-minute plank piece of cake. She's like, I can I can hold a plank for two minutes. She does it. Okay, so I know so, what you're talking about. I had no clue she was in her 80s. Yeah. These role models inspire me. And I do think that when you're around, and the older you get, the more you're around older people, right? Like I have yeah. friends who are young, I have friends who are older, and our parents are getting older. And so we see more of that. So I guess 80 doesn't sound as scary as it might have when we were younger. I saw something the other day that said, uh, 120 is the new 80. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, man. I want to live. Uh, Anyhow, just something to think about when we think about, you know, 8.8% of people being willing to give up sex rather than social media. Now, that that's also fine if you're not really that into sex, if the sex isn't that good. And I think that social media gets painted as all bad because there was another piece out of this study that found that the earlier you have a device, so whether you're given a phone at eight versus say 14, the lower your positive mental health outcomes. So we do need to look at how social media is adversely affecting us. We definitely need to set set limits. Like you use the 15 minute rule on your phone. I hide accounts or unfollow accounts that I find distress me or activate me or trigger me. But I, I also 
I always worry that one generation is saying to the next generation, the new thing that you're into is bad. Like I think back to like Footloose and dancing. <laughs> dancing <laughs> is bad. Yourself there. Dancing is bad. I, yeah, I only saw it a few years ago, actually. <laughs> when was Footloose out? That was in the early 80s. Oh, okay. So yeah, I wasn't obviously watching it at that time. But social media is not all bad. And I think what we need... And the reason I was drawn to this study, I think what we need is more education, more context, more open discussions that don't polarize, but actually listen to young people and what the draw of social media is. And this aligns with my experience in sex ed. So for those of you who don't know, I was a high school teacher and that's how I found myself in this field. And I think with young folks and especially with generational sharings and learnings, if you just judge and say like, you young people bad, old people good, I think we lose them. So I think these conversations need to be centered on the folks who are most affected, driven by them, maybe facilitated by them, as opposed to, I always think about outsiders studying others, right? So when I, we think about different areas of our identity and we talk about nothing about us without us, I think we need to really think about that in terms of age and who is conducting these studies and how they're framing them. Because I, I think there's so much positive to take from social media, but we are also seeing these potentially adverse outcomes and not all of these are adverse, right? Like maybe mm. it's no big deal to not go to a restaurant. We're very spoiled that we yeah. even get to go to restaurants. Yeah. Maybe for many people, sex isn't a big deal. And that's Agreed. also okay. You decide what sex means to you. Now, face-to-face -face contact, listen, I'm supposed to not judge, but I definitely have some worries around that. But I also know in, ta in talking to parents and talking to some kind of older teens, early 20s, there are a lot of people who aren't feeling so comfortable with face-to-face -face contact. You know, they had three years or maybe not full three years, but a couple of years of learning from home that shifted feelings around being around people face-to-face, -face, anxieties and you know, I'm hearing about so many people who sent their kids off to college for year one college and they came home. They were like, I can't do this. This isn't for me. I want to be back in my home, in my safety zone with my family. But you also said that that study was a contact, physical contact outside of the home. So maybe they're... they're household, mm -hmm. they're very close, they're very tight, they have the connections that they need there that they don't need to get that fulfillment outside of the home. So I could see how you can still communicate with people, have a laugh. Like I, I do that with people around the world where, you know, somebody's in Jamaica and I'm sending them a video that just made me laugh. And mm -hmm. I know that it's going to make them laugh too. So I have that connection. I can have that conversation and I'm still getting, you know, perhaps you're still getting the physical contact, a connection with people in their household. So that's worth considering. And also, as you said, as I've gotten older, I realize that more and more people are less receptive to the ideas of what younger people have. We have to catch and, ourselves. And, and I have to catch myself. And I'm like, you know what? You've got a great idea. I want to be receptive. I want to be open to that because I do find a lot of my friends and a lot of people that I talk to, it's just, I'm older, I'm set in my ways. And they they kind of gravitate towards that as something like a badge of honor. Well, I know better and this and that. Do you though? Mm -hmm. Because innovation, new ideas, great ways to communicate. I mean, people are doing that. And they're also, younger generations are thriving. Like we're mm -hmm, looking and we're yeah. being so critical, but a lot of them are changing the world. Mm -hmm. And I want to be receptive to that when I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 80s, 90s. Because Not your I, 70s. Well, well, no, I'm going to skip over 70s. I'm just gonna go <laughs> the 70s is going to be a bad what? decade. <laughs> I, want those, I want younger generations to also want to be around me mm -hmm. when I'm older. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're set in your ways, at least what I perceive, the people that 
that I know that are very stubborn and are older. I'm, I don't want to be around them. Mm-hmm. I don't. Well, I, I look at who we're really attracted to being around. And my auntie and my uncle, who are in their mid-70s, getting into their late 70s, are in our inner circle. Like they're mm-hmm. in our top 10 yeah. of people that we will go out of our way to spend time with. And mm-hmm. there's, there's a reason for that. One thing I'm really admiring, and I'm getting off topic, we got to get to the belly button, is that older generations are so open to learning in both directions. It's not just imparting knowledge um, on younger people, but I'm seeing that in one of, in my family, where there's three generations and they're all learning from one another and growing. And I think that's a a really exciting thing. So, okay, social media, not all bad, but Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a surprising stat. And I'm going to go put out a a survey, a, a poll on Instagram to find out what you would give up. Ooh, instead of social media so love it get those up there um, before we get started into the listener question i want to shout out a partner brand and this is a brand that i'm involved with as an investor on the investment side and that brand is bloomy b-l-o-o-m-i so bloomy not so long ago launched and closed a fundraising round on WeFunder, and it caught my attention because it's a sexologist-led brand. It's a Latina-founded brand. And before this latest round, they had already raised $1.5 million um, from angels and VCs. So I think if I'm not – I think if I read the statements correctly, they're at over $2 million raised now. But more importantly, and what attracted me to the brand, is they have some really standout features. So they established the industry's first clean standard for intimacy products in the U.S. So their lubricants are 510K cleared by the FDA. They're one of the few organic clean lubricants in the country. Their toys are made with medical grade silicone, not silicone, not just, you know, body safe silicone, which is more of an ambiguous term that doesn't necessarily disclose all the materials. Uh, They make sustainable, really high quality products at a very accessible price point. Their products are ergonomic and they're designed with accessibility in mind with consideration of various hand sizes and body sizes and abilities and flexibilities. They also prioritize sustainability and they have eco-friendly packaging. I I know it's made from recyclable sugarcane, recyclable plastic, treeless cartons that are compostable, compostable. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, so they're available at Target which is really exciting. So over a thousand stores, they're the first Latina founded brand in Target's sexual wellness aisle. So please do check them out. Bloomy, they've built a collaborative community and an education site online at thebloomy.com. And so if you're off to Target, please check them out, pick them up in the sexual wellness aisle. Uh, I was looking online this morning at Target's site and their Bloomy products. So my pick is the Bloomy Massage Waterproof and Rechargeable Vibrator. And it's round, like a sort of like a computer mouse and a little bit flat and, but obviously, you know, not totally flat and it's smooth and it's silky and it's around 35 US dollars. Okay. So yeah. it's reasonable. Yeah. And when I looked this morning, Target had a promo on for 20% off for pickup of items and same day delivery. So please do check them out. And their website, if you want to go directly, is thebloomy.com. Again, it's B-L-O-O-M-I. But check them out at Target because that's exciting news. And I'm just excited to see how they grow. Great company to get behind too, because I think the percentage of uh, women, woman-led VC startups that get funding is, is something abysmal. It's like 2% yeah. or something. Yeah, and especially so for a woman of color. For them to be where they are is a success story in itself, but also, you know, listen, hope that they continue to thrive and, and do well. They're doing awesome stuff. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. And I like their social content. They've had a whole bunch of really good messaging that's gone viral. So yeah, cool story. Keep an eye on them. Bloomy. And uh, all right, let's dive into... 
Belly the buttons. Belly buttons. I love this. Okay. I'm going to read what they wrote in. Me and my partner, fiance, future wife, need your advice. We need your help, tips, info, opinions, thoughts. Ooh, lots of things. All right. We're both in our early 20s. And basically, my partner has this weird obsession, fetish, kink, for my Audi belly button where my belly button sticks out and she wants to do a lot of things all over it so play with it in different ways with her tongue by licking my belly button she wants to do raspberries or belly farts all over it uh, blowing raspberries to make that farting noise she wants to suck on my Audi belly button bite nibble playfully she wants to eat and lick whipped cream, honey, chocolate, chocolate sauce, ice cream out of it like a dessert. And I'm really self-conscious over my Audi belly button as well because I'm also really ticklish and self-conscious about having an Audi in general. I don't know why I have an Audi and that ticklish sensation, sorry, it's a little, it's a long hair, that ticklish sensitive belly sensation is a general experience for me. But I want, I want to give things a go and go down the road of belly button play, worship fetishes to see if I love or like the feeling of my belly being teased or blown on or played with and licked and sucked. And I want to know what things and ways I can play with her belly button, which is an innie, and I want to know how I can make raspberries or the best sound on her belly button, and I want to know how to lick her innie. I have a question right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Given her kink or fetish, what mm -hmm. they had described about her desire for her love for this belly button, mm -hmm. did they know, did she know before that he had this Audi? Because imagine she falls in love or she she's attracted to him and then all of a sudden, whoop, up goes the t-shirt and it's like, super turned on fireworks right yeah well I, I don't think it goes in your dating profile no well that's what I mean it's like hey I'm Brandon I've mm -hmm. also got an Audi but if we all met topless that would help true true this is why I'm against shirts you're also against pants I hate pants so. you know I don't like I want pants banned um so thank you so much for sharing this and you know you said it's it's a weird thing but it doesn't sound weird at all to me it sounds fun and exciting and also really common so I was looking at how common a belly button fetish is. And in 2012, apparently it was the second most common fetish search, according to Google, second really? to the heel fetish. I don't see it on the top 10 list for 2023, but that doesn't mean people aren't still searching on other sites like Pornhub and other tube sites and making a ton of requests. I was talking to a couple of performers on some webcams and they get a ton of requests around the belly button. And there's a name for arousal related to the navel and that's alvinophilia like Alvin and the Chipmunks, and then Ophelia. And there are so many theories as to why the navel is such a source of erotic fascination and pleasure. So we've got the simple fact that there's this proximity to the genitals without the stress and the pressure of a visible or tactile response, right? Like the genitals are expected to respond in a certain way. It's not a fair expectation, but it is a common sociocultural expectation that there's going to be an erection or lubrication. And so a lot of us will get in our head about that. And so we derive more pleasure from other body parts, but we don't have that same pressure. So there's that practical positioning and the dense nerve endings in the region. And so many people will actually say that they experience sensations in their clitoris through the belly button, which might be attributable to a nerve pathway that connects it to the spine through the pelvic region. So there's just the, the proximity, the excitement of it. There's also this 
primal piece, right? The belly button is the giver of life. We have this primal attraction to early experiences and the body's, I think, reproductive and giving capacity because this is the spot that tethered you to your bearer. So there's something really powerful, I think, about life's origins here. And from the, I think, the visual piece, because, you know, you're saying that she's attracted to your Audi, I think the individual variation of belly buttons, right? So innies, Audis, flat ones, long ones, wide ones, oblong ones, ring-like ones. Like, I think about all the people whose belly buttons I see regularly. So it's usually, you know, people we hang out with in a hot, hot location when we're on the, on the water. And it is fascinating how different, how unique belly buttons are, how much they vary even among family and siblings. And so not that you're, you know, aroused by a sibling's belly button, but what I'm saying is just that unique variation, like a fingerprint, like eyes, like lips, uh, like the genitals. Mm. What about the, like the sensitivity and the vulnerability of that whole region? Like I think I don't enjoy having my abdomen touched, but I mean, there's other layers to that, but I'm just thinking about my abdomen is sensitive, like my, my midriff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you don't like that or your touch. Let's talk about that. Let's do it. So why? I think I'm self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I think there's an element of, of you know, yeah, I'm self-conscious. I, I think that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. I like your belly button. Why, thank you. I would like to put things in your <laughs> belly button. You know, would you like the raspberry, my belly button? Not so much raspberry for me personally, but if you're into that, that's cool too to me. There's some power in subversion. And when we think about subversion, I think about the fact that there's so much shame attached to our bellies, right? So the act of or the experience of eroticizing and taking pleasure in an area that's often hidden, that's often in an unnatural, uncomfortable, sucked-in state because of near-impossible beauty standards. I think there's something very exciting about Mm. that, right? And when we think about the rarity of Audis or protruding belly buttons, which so apparently they account for about 10% of belly buttons. I'm glad you had that statistic because I wanted to ask you that question. (laughs) I was like, what percentage of people have an Audi? So it's 10%. I had to go look that up. Yeah, it can be very exciting. And, you know, it's interesting because in your case for this person, if you're feeling like your body or your belly or your Audi are being fetishized, you have to decide kind of what works for you because you mentioned that you're self-conscious about it. So I want to say... If at any point you're feeling like, no, I'm not into this or I'm not ready to explore that side, that's okay too. If you want to do some things and not others, that's fine. You don't have to do everything your partner wants, but because you're asking about options and you listed a whole bunch, it sounds like you're definitely open to it at times. So I think you may want to embrace that or take comfort in the fact that pleasure can offset that self-consciousness, right? The eroticization of discomfort can be soothing and healing and therapeutic, both temporarily And in the long run, like, so if we go back to your belly, I love touching your stomach. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's warm. I like your belly button. I always, you notice I always put my hands there. And quite frankly, you've told me not to. Yeah, I've asked you not to. But I think if I were to kind of embrace that, the you know, the comfort of just having that space touched, as I had mentioned, it's really sensitive. Like to light touch, I find it, and it can be very arousing. I think when you... And I don't want to speak for you. When you lie on your back, you're more comfortable than if I just come up to you from behind when you're standing. Is that true? Uh, I'm not sure I know what you mean. What do you mean when... So I'm... Yeah. I mean, if I'm lying on my back and then you just approach and touch my abdomen, is that what you mean? Yeah. Like if I'm touching it, you never push me away. But if if during during like sex play, right? But during the day, I notice you kind of 
Yeah, it doesn't recoil it, when I touch you. <laughs> you make it sound so nice. No, I I would agree. I don't think it bothers me as much when I'm lying on my back, and then yeah, if you come and approach me, then and also maybe because you're kind of more aroused. And on the flip side, you really enjoy having your like when I touch your abdomen. Yeah, so I like my stomach, and I have a really long belly button. Yes, you do. There could be like a little fish living in there or something. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I had to go there, but I feel like the stomach is a spot that nobody else touches. You know, somebody can put their hand on my shoulder. You know, when you play sports, somebody might touch your leg, but nobody ever touches your stomach. Rarely. Yeah. And so it's it's intimate. It's kind of like special. It's unique. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel violated. When people kind of put, you know, when sometimes people want to harass you, basically, and they'll, people you barely know put their hands around your, race, your waist in this sort of power move. I definitely see it as a power move. Yeah. And so I definitely feel that it's a vulnerable area. It's a personal area. And of course, there's huge individual variation in that. Not everybody feels that way. But there is the taboo nature we could talk about as well, like especially in Western cultures that hide the midriff and even enact dress codes against midriff exposure. There's other cultures where the midriff is often more often exposed, but in Western culture, oftentimes it's hidden. And so that taboo element can also be very exciting. But I, I want to go to you for your stomach and mm -hmm. this person because it sounds like there's a little bit of, you know, conflicting experience here where you want to derive the pleasure, but also you've always felt self-conscious. And I think it's important to just know that without pressure, whenever you derive any sort of pleasure from a body part or a message or an experience that was previously negative or shameful or draining, the response can be so much more intense. And I, I want to bring something up, and I'm, I'm thinking about a case that I worked with around breasts where one partner was into their partner's breasts and the other wasn't. So this was a discordant dynamic in terms of attraction. So one partner said she adored her partner's breasts. They were her favorite thing about her partner. But the partner, person number two, explained that while they appreciated the adoration and the attraction, their breasts actually felt discordant with their identity. So even though they could sometimes get pleasure from them, they actually didn't like them on their body. And so it was this weird feeling where their partner really liked them. And they had this conversation, and I'm privileged to have you know been there. And when they came to this learning, this realization together, the first partner, the one who adored their partner's breast, was so loving and caring and said, I remember her saying something along the lines of, you know, as much as I adore your breasts, I appreciate that discordance and how it affects your pleasure. And they had this amazing conversation around how to enjoy and adore and play and create pleasure in light of the discordance. And I guess the brief summary is in the end, what they really learned was that sometimes partner number two was in the mood to make their breasts a part of their sex play. And sometimes they weren't. So the two of them just had to check in to see what kind of day or what kind of interaction it was going to be. And this isn't an outcome that's generalizable, but I love and appreciate this outcome and getting to witness it because it really speaks to the fact that there are no answers. There's no universal answers. And what you want, especially as it pertains to your body, can change from day to day. So you need to be with a partner or partners who are responsive to that and honor that as an opportunity for understanding and deeper pleasure and connection rather than seeing it as a deficit. And to me, this is such a big, you know, a reminder that what we want changes from day to day. So as you explore this belly button pleasure or fetish or however you, however you want to frame it, know that what you love one day may not be what you love the next. And um, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I think there's also 
an evolutionary attraction to orifices and protrusions on our bodies. I think because when we think of sex, we often think of it as penetrative. So this little space or this little bump right in the center of, center of your body can be so fascinating and so exciting. I would agree. I mean... Yeah, I would agree. So I, I think uh, what we can do now is talk a little bit about some of the ways you can explore this belly button pleasure. And to me, the body is your unlimited wonderland, right? You already mentioned a whole bunch of ways, including raspberries and licking. And I wish I could tell you how to make the biggest raspberry. I don't I don't have the expertise on that. But we could start with the sensual, right? So there's sensual play where it's maybe tickling with your tongue or your fingertips or your nipple. Maybe there's some sucking around the area in the area, um, on its own or with an added liquid or drink or food. Like I love the idea of wine out of the belly button. To me, there's something so erotic and sensual about that. I immediately think of the mess. (laughs) (laughs) Get a no more wet spot blanket. (laughs) There could be suction and you can create suction in so many ways, right? So you could put your palm over there, any belly button, with some pressure to create a bit of a vacuum, right? Or you can use a flat toy to do the same. I know people who do cupping in the area, right? With your hand or a cupping device, you could play with teasing and deprivation. The sounds, right? You've got slurping, sucking, raspberries, vibing, like moaning, all of that. Maybe even tuning into the sounds their stomach makes. I know there are people who are turned on by a groaning, grumbly stomach. Well, they'd be super turned on by me because my stomach is always making noise. Because you forget to eat. Yes, I do forget to eat. (laughs) There's also the visual element. Some people just like to look, right? You could tune into it during sex play. It could be the mere sight of being flashed. You can do the talk side of the sensual, right? Talking about how much you like it, why you like it, what you want to do. You can do a bunch of rolling with your tongue around, inside, over. And anything you can, almost anything you do in any, you can do to an Audi, right? I mean, there's some small differences, but there's so much you can play with there. I was also thinking that maybe before any of this, there could also be, you know, he could just fantasize on his own and and determine whether or not he appreciates or he likes any of this mm-hmm. i mean i've noticed that recently even myself it's like start to you know think of different fantasies to see like how do i respond to that do i like it do i not like it because if, if he's nervous about it then it's a great way to maybe just consider what you do and don't like before you jump in yeah i think that's a great suggestion and i won't make you share it but you shared a fantasy the other day that i think you were surprised you liked yeah i was i'm not going to get into the details no, right now but i also think that I was lying in bed, couldn't sleep. I was sleeping. You were sleeping, so I didn't bother you. <laughs> oh my God, thank God I was so tired that <laughs> that's, night. That's how, that's how we do. Um, but I, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of think about these things. And, and I thought to myself, I could see mentally I was pushing this thought away. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to lean into it a little bit. And, and then when I did, I was like, okay, you know what? I could see myself potentially liking it, even if it's only in fantasy even if it's not in real life. But at least it gives me an opportunity to to have a conversation with you about it after. And, and you again, did. Which I did. It was hot. And it was. <laughs> and you know what? And it and whether anything comes of it, who knows? But it was just, I, I, I think my willingness to think about it really kind of just opens new doors and new pathways to new opportunity, new pleasure, new ideas, new conversations, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. Yeah, no, that's a great point to 
do it on your own first and see how you feel about it with no pressure, mm-hmm. right? Some of these things you'll love, some of them you won't. I was thinking also about torture. There's so much torture play with Ooh. all body parts, but with the, the belly button, you've got like heat play, you've got ice play. You can play with different pressures and penetration. Uh, some people will play with piercing play, so a little bit of tugging and pressure and cooling and making sure that you're always prioritizing safety, right? Like cleaning and drying the area. Many people are into belly button worship, so that might involve buying jewels or piercings or chains to adorn the belly button area. It might be worship in the context of a dominance and submission role, like anything you can do in BDSM, you can expand to any part of your body. I mentioned briefly deprivation, but there can be something really fun about this hot act that you are craving or your partner is craving, like the raspberries, right? If you move into a dominant role where you disallow that for some time, and then it can be more powerful when it finally arrives. Or you can do edging play where it's like a little raspberry is allowed or a raspberry is allowed in the area, but not directly over it. So there's oh so much fun you can have. I, I'm just so glad you wrote in. I think about all the different toys and accoutrements you can use like filling it up with you're having fun here aren't you uh, yeah i like i like it a lot like decorating it i'm using a pointy tip of a vibe like i was thinking about the we vibe tango x would go really well in there uh, also bloomy they have a, a longer g-spot vibe like a curved one that's also available at, available at target and it would fit right over the opening right and kind of fill it up there and it, you could probably feel a bit of suction and you could use suction toys over mm-hmm. it oh yeah, all of the womanizer products. It's going to be a three-hour uh, podcast here. <laughs> Do you want me to stop? No, no, I'm just laughing at and you. And pinwheels, you know, the pinwheels with the sharp yep. edges that you roll over it or massage candles or e-stems for that electronic play. And then, of course, the practicality of any sort of co-stimulation, meaning anything that you're already doing sexually that feels so good, just adding in a little bit of belly button play, whether it's physical stimulation or some of the talk around it or some of the worship or the visual elements or the sound, the audio elements. I think there's just so much opportunity here. So, you know, the short form is this is amazing. Explore it in however you feel works for you. Be open to the fact that how you feel about an area that you're self-conscious or have been previously self-conscious of may shift over time. And hopefully in the long run, it helps to assuage some of the self-consciousness. Because of course, when there's a minority occurrence of something in our bodies, we feel self-conscious about it. It's pretty common, even though there's no reason to feel self-conscious because 10% of the population is still a whole lot of people (laughs) in this busy, busy planet. So thank you so much for writing in and sharing and letting me talk about belly buttons because that was really fun for me. And thanks for sharing, babe, about your stomach. I think that's like a a conversation we need to take offline. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the results of your your polls, your surveys about Uh, the sex and social media. Yeah, please follow me on Instagram, Sex with Dr. Jess. You can even follow Brandon. I'll I'll link to him. Your stuff is a little your, harder. Your stuff is more more exciting. I don't know. You share it, so we're we're good. Sex with Dr. Jess on Instagram. Thank you to Bloomy for all the amazing work they're doing. Please do go look for Bloomy in Target and support this amazing brand that's doing really cool work in the sexual wellness field. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Thanks to the person who wrote in and wherever you're at, folks. I hope you have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.